podcast about art history. I'm Mike. And I'm Sarah. And we're back. Yay! Made it through year, insert year here. We are now on to year, current year. <laughs> I just, I want to make sure that like in the future, if someone's listening just to in, this. Oh, okay. They can. <laughs> I, thought, I thought maybe it was going to take you a year to edit this and you didn't want it to give yourself some buffer time. No, what I, what I was saying is I want to be able to edit this later for like different years. So no, I got just, it. Like, keep putting it out. For... Oh, interesting. So it'll be our annual New yeah. Year podcast. <laughs> yeah. And what a year it's been already. Huzzah. But neither here nor there. We're talking about art history. That we are. Thank goodness, because I think we could all use a little bit of a reprieve from, uh, yeah. If yeah. You li- if you live in America. Yeah, we, um, this is not going to be at all, uh, political or tied into or relevant, recent events. Relevant in any means? I mean, relevant. Let's, let's not go too far. Okay. I mean, as relevant as 230 somethings can be. It's not about us, Michael. It's about the art. They tune in for us. Okay. All right. So what are we talking about today? (laughs) We're talking about an artist named Chuck Close. All right. What do you know about Chuck Close, Michael? He's not Roast Far. Such a bad joke. Yeah, I know. So bad. But that's that's all you know. I have heard the name before, but I don't know who Chuck Close is. No. Okay. All right. Well... Do you want to just dive right in? More than anything. (laughs) Okay. Well, Chuck Close was born on July 5th, 1940. And unless I've missed one somewhere, he is the first artist that we've covered that is still alive. Hey, huzzah. Huzzah. That makes him pretty old. He's pretty old. Yeah. Yeah. So he's in his 70s, 80s? 80s, yeah. Still painting? Um, as far well, we'll talk about it. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Um, Chuck Close suffers from prosopagnosia. What do you think prosopagnosia means? It is something to do with telling something. He. Yeah, I got nothing. Bad at making prognosis. (laughs) He has face blindness. Mm. Dang it, I just listened to, I don't know if you know know Mike McHarg. He uh, has face blindness, and he was talking about it on a podcast I was listening to today. Interesting. So Chuck Close talked about um, that when he was in kindergarten, he realized... um, he realized he had it because at the end of the year, at the end of his kindergarten year, sure. he couldn't tell which kids on the playground were kids from his class oh, and yeah. couldn't didn't know any of their names. So obviously, well, maybe not obviously, but it made him uh, the subject of ridicule with sure. a lot of kids because, like, I mean, I can imagine being a six-year-old in kindergarten be like what do you mean you don't know him you've sat beside him all year you know in addition he also had some learning disabilities uh, including dyslexia so 
just generally speaking, he did not do well in school. Sure. But especially because back this would have been back in like the fifties, fifties. Yeah. yeah. Not uh, super progressive with their diagnostics of things like that and right yeah ability to help kids with stuff like that yeah and he talked about um some of the learning disabilities that he has he said he didn't even learn the words for them until well after school you know after his school years because they didn't have those words back then um but he credits his art and music classes for giving him a place where he felt like he could succeed so he talks about how valuable art and music are not only how you know they talk about how like art and music are good for you know helping your brain do math or whatever but he talks about how not only that but for the kids like him where they don't find success in english class or math class if you have kids like that that can succeed in the arts he said if if arts education hadn't been a part of his school he would have dropped out just flat out so um because he felt like this was like all he could do it caused him to be very intense in his focus so he was a really great artist so he ended up graduating from high school um went on to study art at the university of washington and then went and got his masters of fine arts from yale so that kind of tells you what a good artist yeah. he was, you know, knowing Serious that his, like, the academic math, <laughs> you know, writing papers side of things uh, wasn't as as successful for him. Um, so he got his MFA, then taught at the University of Massachusetts for a couple of years, um, and then moved to New York City. Gotcha. So after he came out of art school, he realized that he was good at creating art that looked like art, which meant that he was good at creating art that looked like other artists' work, Mm. but he didn't feel like he had his own style. Uh, He loved abstract expressionism, which is like, if you know Jackson Pollock, who's the guy that kind of splatters paint. Um, So like that, that kind of style he really liked and sort of tried emulating for a while, but um, he just felt like he was imitating other people rather than creating his own thing. So what he did was he started implementing rules on his own art. So he abandoned all his brushes and all the familiar tools and started working with an airbrush, Hmm. which was something that he'd never used before in art. He also uh, decided that he was relying too much on color and so decided he was only going to work in black and white. Wow. So it was really interesting. He had, um, he was working on another project and was borrowing a camera for whatever he was taking photos of. And he had some extra film. So he decided to take some black and white photos of himself. And so um, he took that photo and enlarged it, enlarged the print and put a grid over it and then took a canvas and made it the same grid on the canvas, only the canvas was huge. And um, he square by square copied the image from the photo onto the canvas. And so that's gonna be our first image here. It's called Big Self Portrait. 
uh, and was created in 1967 to 1968. So he's 27-28 when he created this. Wow. Um, it stands nearly nine feet tall. And um, as you can see, it shows the artist front on, almost confrontational. You know, he's got a cigarette hanging out of his mouth and his hair is all unkempt. Uh, he, so this is sort of, is the prototype for all of his art going forward. Um, he called, rather than, he didn't like the word portraits, he calls them heads. <laughs> um, sure. So, but for the rest of his career, he's going to focus on faces. So, on the, are these the, the both of his art, or is one the picture and one's the art? Uh, so what you're looking at, one is, they're both his art. This okay. is just a, a close-up. For for the listeners, there's a split screen currently on the computer screen showing the art of Chuck Close. Well, the face of Chuck Close, I yep. guess. Yep. So this was done with airbrush. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. So what part of what drew him to doing portraits like this was um, there was an assertion at the time that anyone who considered themselves a modernist artist couldn't do couldn't touch portraiture like that was considered so like part of history that portraits weren't part of the, of the modern past. vernacular yeah. um, and so this was kind of a f you to <laughs> to the My person man. who said that yeah plus his face blindness is solved by making a face two-dimensional. Hmm. So, so he, he, he can remember a photograph of a face, but if a person is standing in front of wow. him and he they turn their head slightly, it's like he's looking at a totally different face. That's wild. Yeah, I know. I, I can't wrap my head around, wrap my head around that idea, but um, yeah, so this was a way sort of an interesting way for him to solve that yeah. i guess i assume that's why he was doing the grid work was so that he could replicate the face that he had trouble remembering but it was just for him to be able to replicate a photo well he does talk about how using the grid um sort of uh you know the phrase like how do you eat an elephant mm -hmm. one bite at a time that's kind of how he approaches his portraits is like um, he can focus on just one small grid rather than trying to take the whole thing in at once. Sure. Um, which is also what he says about how he likes the viewer to see his art. He's, he likes that because they're so big, unless you're way far away from them, you can't take it in all at once. And if you're up close, you're looking at all of those tiny details mm. Um, he talks about how he actually created this image from two separate photographs, kind of, I mean, two separate prints of the photograph put together. And he didn't even realize at the time that he was painting the smoke coming out of the cigarette because, wow. you know, he's so zoomed in to yeah. what he's working on. That's wild. And, and this is incredible detail, too. Like, it, yeah. it looks like a photograph. Right. Yeah. And uh, right up his nose. <laughs> yeah. In case you know what an airbrush nostril looks like. Yeah. And well, and that's something that kind of goes to characterize his work going forward is that he's not interested in carefully selecting just the right angle or using dramatic lighting. He just wants a straight on shot, real photos, almost like this one is almost like a mug shot. Yeah. 
Um, and <laughs> in this particular one, he is shirtless uh, because at the time he was still thinking about um, in the sort of art history context was thinking about the nude Mm -hmm. And rather than thinking of the face as a portrait, as like a separate subject, was thinking of the head just as part of a larger nude. So he didn't see them as two different mm -hmm. subjects, art history-wise. He was just like, oh, well, you know, I'm interested in this thing, so I'll just take my shirt off. So that's why Even he's, not, he's else, not wearing yeah. a shirt. I mean, you can see his, his collarbone and stuff, but he's not wearing a shirt. So did he take this... This is a selfie, right? Mm hmm Yep. Fantastic. Yeah. Chuck Close, cool before it was cool. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, he said about his paintings, the bigger they are, the longer they take to walk by, the harder they are to ignore. So not only is this pose uh, and the painting itself very sort of confrontational, like that was like part of his aesthetic is like, hey, look at me, look at me, look at me. Don't ignore me. I'm hmm. right here. Interesting. Well, it's, it's funny, too, because I think about, like, these giant photo, uh, not photos, artwork, and uh, I think about them, that they should be taken in back farther so mm -hmm. you can, like, take in the whole essence of the photo or of the painting or of the art, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. But he is saying he actually wants people to be up close and examining the detail and the, the nuance, the minutia of his art. Yeah, and um, that's something that I read about, that he almost treats portraiture like landscape. Like, yeah. he takes, like, the topography of a face and well, paints I mean, it. That's what he did with a grid. He he broke mm -hmm. the face down into a grid like he right. would like a map. topography. Yeah. yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. Um, and he, so he rarely takes commissions, um, mostly because when you are taking money from someone, it means they get to dictate the editing. And that was something that um, his setter, his sitters never got to pick which shots hmm. got used. I mean, he said there was kind of a conver conversation, but ultimately it was his art. So yeah. he got to choose and the people that sat for him kind of gave him that permission. Um, so it was actually really brave to be a sitter for him sure. because... Uh, he's copying down onto the canvas exactly what's in the photo, every wrinkle, every freckle, every hair, and it's going to be huge. <laughs> <laughs> so not only is he not going to like airbrush your wrinkles away, but they're also going to be magnified. It's gonna not be... only for his eye, but also for those of the gallery visitors. Yeah. So uh, his sitters were very brave. Yeah, it's going to be a no for me, dog. <laughs> he also um, sort of decided that um, unlike traditional portraiture, again, another sort of F you to art history of portraiture, he decided that rather than the wealthy or royalty that were traditionally shown in portraits, he was going to do like totally anonymous, ordinary uh -huh. people. So the, they're all his friends and family. So it's it sounds a little bit like he he was getting into art. He found you know that he could do art well, and then he's like, I wanted to do something different. And so instead of like trying to find his space in that, he's like, I'm gonna throw it all out, say f it all, and I'm just gonna start from these from rules. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's really interesting his approach. It seems to be really different than most artists, yeah. where he's like starting with a, a framework of rules 
where he has to sort of like find his way out of the box where most people like start with no box and then have to kind of <laughs> find their way back in, I guess. So he does a series of these, um, black and white, very photorealistic. Um, and he even uh, goes a step further. There's at least one, maybe a couple of um, photos or uh, paintings that he does like this, only instead of using an airbrush, he used his fingers, his thumb and <sighs> index finger together Jeez. to do almost like pointillism, only, you know, except... Oh my. Uh, it's kind of they're kind of amazing, um, but so he had done a series of these black and white portraits and decided to make it more interesting for himself. He wanted to introduce color back into the process, but he didn't want to do it the way traditional painting was done um, and mix his color on a palette. Sure, why? Why would you want to do it the traditional easy way? <laughs> you can do it something completely bad, because there's crap, more rules to be made. So, um, in, in when you're using an airbrush traditionally, even in that instance, there's not an actual palette, but you would be mixing the pigment before you put it into the airbrush gun. So, for I guess the listener or those who may not be familiar. What exactly is an airbrush? We've been talking about it. I think I kind of know. I mean, you know, because you've been to a fair before and seen them. I mean, it's like, uh, uh, what do you call it when you, at the shop, you've got your... An air hose? Yeah. Yeah. So it, my understanding is it's it's almost it's like, like a compressed pen. compressed air. Yeah. It's almost like a pen connected uh -huh. to an air hose with a paint hopper on top. Yeah. And it... it um, it atomizes the paint a little bit into like a mist. Yeah. When you're yeah, putting on. Yeah, that's exactly it. Okay. Yeah, you got it. Well, now everybody now knows. Now everybody knows. I mean, yeah, think exactly like I said, you know, think of the fairs and carnivals you've been to where people are airbrushing t-shirts. Yeah. So, it's I mean, same thing. The, the brush part is more of the atomized paint than it is like some kind of tip or, or fixture. Oh, yeah. On, there's, on yeah, the yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. You, you got it exactly. Perfect. Anyway, so traditionally, if you want color, you would have a colored paint or you would mix the pigments together and then load them into the airbrush gun. Gun? Is it called a gun? Yeah, I don't know. It's airbrush into gun. the airbrush. Into the hopper. Whatever. The paint hopper. Um, but of course, our pal Chuck Close can't do that. Can't be traditional. Time out. Is he going to paint with individual colors and mix them on the canvas? Just you wait. Oh, gosh. Okay, so he borrowed this technique from offset printing. So what he did was took a photo and then created a transparency from that. Okay. And so then from that transparency, created five dye transfer prints. So there is one that was cyan alone, which is a blue color, for those who don't know. Yep. And then magenta alone. And then cyan and magenta together. Which is kind of like a purpley color. Well, it's those two tones together. Okay. And then yellow alone. And then cyan, magenta, and yellow together, which was effectively a full color print. Because cyan, magenta, yellow are basically primary colors. Yeah. So with those three plus black sometimes gets added, which... For my uh, graphic design friends will know CMYK. 
uh, is that a thing. That means nothing to me. The K is actually black. <laughs> I don't course. know why. I don't know why they didn't go why with not? B, but yeah. So anyway, so with those three basic primary colors, you can create full image or full full color image. Yeah, that makes sense. So using that exact same grid process that he used on the big self portrait, um, he starts doing that same thing only using these colored prints. So he would take the cyan one, do a grid, make the grid on the canvas, do just the cyan on the canvas. And then he'd oh take his gosh. magenta and do the grid on there and apply that to the canvas. So what he didn't realize, but probably should have, was that in doing it this way, that he would be painting the same portrait three times. Yeah. <laughs> because he was real. doing each one individually. Oh my gosh. Um, and so it, it, he did a few of these. Um, I'm going to show you the last of this series, which is his friend Mark, who is um, a fellow artist. So here's a picture of the process as he's wow. in the middle of it. You can see all of the prints as he's working on them. You have magenta, cyan, cyan and magenta together, yellow, and then the full color print. And that's his process working down the grid. Um, and so then there's the full, the full image and a detail of the eye Dang. working in that process. So he's just layering colors on top of each other to get the full. Right. Yeah. Holy moly. Isn't that amazing? And it this one is um, nine feet by seven feet. So going back to the, his process, mm -hmm. he was painting just three colors, right? Mm -hmm. And the outcome, so he would do, I'm assuming either cyan or magenta, mm -hmm. and then the other one, mm -hmm. which would give you the should give you the fourth picture, which is them together. And then right. you would do the yellow, yeah. which would give you the... Yeah. Holy cow. Yeah. That is unbelievable. Um, but you can see he kind of did it in... He didn't Grids. do, like, the entire thing. He would do, like, a portion. Yeah. And then do the next, co you know, next color, next color. So he kind of had it in sections. But, um, yeah, it's it's pretty amazing yeah it is it is i i've read in some places um but i couldn't i i really tried to verify it but i couldn't find from any actual like reputable source that inkjet printing was based on or was inspired by the way he did this process like i said it's something that i saw he quoted that he said like oh yeah the guy who did this saw my paintings and saw my process and then went away and made an inkjet printer but i couldn't verify it anywhere but well, it makes sense sarah we we are in a world where if you say it is true it is true so michael you don't need facts we're moving on <laughs> okay. so this uh was the last of his continuous tone paintings which um, will probably only make sense once we get into the other ones, but basically this is going to be the last that is, um, looks photorealistic, yeah. uh, even up close. We'll yeah. say it like that, okay. maybe. So, um, because he is an artist who's continuously stretching himself and trying to 
add more rules and take some rules away. Sure, why not? Um, so he he works on a series of pastel drawings and then um, finally decides to return to oil paints, which is a medium he hadn't used since the 60s. Oh, Mark, by the way, was done in um, 78 to 79. So we're almost a decade later. Almost a decade before I was born. Yes, that too. Um, so he moves away from this sort of holistic yeah. sort of thing and kind of dives deeper into the grid. And so he goes from, so while he was doing these um, pastel drawings, he kind of was working, he was still working with the grid, um, but he was working to sort of, he used just like a single color in each grid box. So it almost created what looked like sort of a pixelated yeah. image. If you can kind of picture that. Mm -hmm. um, so he then kind of moves on from there to when he's actually doing his oil painting um, from a single dot or blob of color. And then he starts adding a dot of color in the middle of that um, to create more complicated shapes and colors on the grid. When was he doing the pat? You may have said I may be terrible at listening. You're fine. When was he doing the pastel? It was after just his... after this yeah. okay so he went from this to the pastel and that influences oil yeah gotcha so the way he starts working is that each box on the grid sort of becomes its own tiny abstract painting so the paint is applied to the canvas and the viewer's eye does the work of blending the colors and shapes to form a cohesive image. Mm -hmm. So similar to before how he didn't want to mix the paint and then put it on the canvas, um, in this next style that we're going to show, um, he still wants the viewer to do the viewer's eye to do yeah. some of that blending so that's called optical blending or optical color mixing you know so now that you say this you we had talked about whether because you looked to see if we had seen any when we were in new york city mm -hmm. and you had said no but now that you mentioned that i at least remember talking about that and i think you may have showed me we either saw one at a distance or saw one because I remember talk, you talking about this now <laughs> with the individual point of paint inside yes. the box of paint. Yeah, you know, you're probably right. Either It was either that we saw one from a distance and I couldn't help but tell you about Chuck Close, <laughs> yeah. or I saw that that whole level of the museum was closed and had to show you what he was yeah, doing. Cause right. I kind of do remember that now, but okay. So you can go ahead and pull up the next one. This is going to be Stanley. Um, so Stanley is a uh, salesman that he met when his family was at the beach um, and they became friends. Yep. Um, but you can see in the close-up image, he's basically creating sort of a series of targets. Um, so he uses two or three or four concentric circles and um, it's kind of interesting because the application of the paint, rather than 
um, in his previous iterations where it was like very precise and very photorealistic. The application of the paint actually sort of harkens back to his fondness for abstract abstract expressionism. Yeah. Um, it's kind of a looser application of the paint. And when you look at it up close, like we have this image here, um, you, it's hard to see anything but our abstract circles and they kind of happen to be in a grid pattern. But as you move further and further away, it's incredibly photorealistic. Yeah. You know, if you if you squint, that's just a photo, <laughs> you know. Two things. Um I don't remember what one thing is. <laughs> Good start. Oh, I remember now. Uh you talked about the photo we are looking at if you are interested in seeing these photos you can go over to our instagram account oh yes which is at halfway docent on instagram mm -hmm. and you can see we post all these pictures so that you can kind of keep up with the episode that's thing one um go there you can see what we're talking about and thing two is i would consider it more of a kevin than a stanley Is that an office reference? It is. Okay, great. Also, okay, this is a real person, though. If you, your thing. It's Kevin. So. If you two want to see Kevin <laughs> slash Stanley. It is sort of a blending of those two characters, in a way. At Happy Listen on Instagram. <laughs> you can see Kevin Stanley. Ridiculous. Anyway. On to actual <laughs> substance, if Mine you will. Mine was perfectly substance. Sure. Um, so this is sort of part of, I don't know that we, we talked about it at the top, but, um, Chuck Close kind of is reluctant to call his work photorealistic, even though most people put his stuff into that category. Sort of like when we were talking about Frida and how she didn't consider herself a surrealist artist, yeah. but most people call her art so. surrealism. Yeah. Um, but this is sort of part of why Chuck Close doesn't consider himself a photorealist. Because if you look at this, this up-close version... It's a bunch of dots. It's it's totally abstract. Yeah. But when you move further back, you, I mean, it's hard to say that's anything but photorealism. Which is, it's really interesting because when his, his other stuff, he wanted people to be up close to see it. Mm -hmm. This, if you're up close, you don't get the full effect of what it is you just see that I mean, abstract sure but i would argue that you also don't get the full effect if you're for far away it has to be both yeah. yeah yeah it's true um so he compares doing this kind of art um to of all things to the game of golf so he said he would he mentions that um, golf is one of the very few sports where you start with the general and get more specific. Sure. So um, he starts when he's... I don't have a, a in-progress photo of um, this kind of art that he was doing, but he starts with a wash that is in a totally wrong color. So... Um, I was reading an interview where he was talking about this and he was talking about like for the skin, for example, he knows that he wants to be in sort of the orangish 
realm. So he would start with a wash of a cool color, like a blue or purple or green. The coolest of colors. So he's, he uh, likened that to teeing off in the opposite direction of the pin. <laughs> yeah. And so then the second color that he applies has to go a very, very long way. Um, so with this quote-unquote stroke, um, he selects a color from the color family that he's actually aiming for, in this case, orange. Um, but then on the third one, he would refine it. So maybe it's orange, but it's too yellow. So he'll put a blob of red in the middle to make it a little more reddish orange. And then finally, uh, to get it just to the right color, he'll refine it. Um, so maybe he got the right color of reddish orange, but it's a little too bright. So he'll put a blob of blue in the middle and that, um, is the complement of orange, which means when your eye mixes those two colors, it's going to kind of muddy it a little bit. So it's going to take down the brightness. Two more things. Uh, if you're listening and wondering about an orange person, it's because Kevin Stanley is a Cheeto. Not really. I'm just kidding. Get out. Sarah's not impressed by that. But thing too, like this, his ability to be able to understand that, the understanding of color science, color yeah. theory. There color it is. Theory. It's called color theory. There's a word for that. You got it. I got there all on my own. Uh, it's, I mean, like, holy cow. That is, we theoretically do that at my job where we're mixing stain. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we are not that good. Yeah. That is remarkable. Yeah. So he, um, here's a quote where he's talking about this in comparison to golf. He said, it is possible to have a birdie to come in a stroke early. It's even possible to have an eagle to come in two under par. Of course, it's equally possible to have a bogey or double bogey and even get mired in some aesthetic sand trap, just making strokes and getting, getting nowhere at all. So, yeah. you know, it wasn't 100% all the time. I'm sure there's paint over paint in places. Yeah. Well, but... I mean, even in this, you know, you you have this, how many, golly, how many uh, squares in that grid? Probably oh, hundreds, right? Probably thousands. I don't know. I don't yeah, have a you're probably right. Uh, I'm sure that, like you said, there are some that are off. There may be some that are just wrong. Yeah. And he did what he could with them. But because there's so many, your eye does a couple things. It mixes all that stuff together. And then it also makes assumptions about what should be there, too, and kind of fills in some of those gaps. Right, exactly. Our brains are not only are they smart enough to fill in gaps like on any image, yeah. but we as humans are sort of. Uh, program to see human faces and things yep. even when where human faces don't exist so we're really good at seeing a face no matter what yeah <laughs> yeah it's true so you can't talk about chuck close without talking about the event which is what he calls it so in 1988 he was at <clears throat> excuse I was me two. So in 1988, he was presenting an award at an Alliance for the Arts event. And he had previously had um, some angina, some heart-related sort of issues, um, but he ended up having to go, go straight from stage where he'd been presenting to the hospital 
um, because he thought he was having a heart attack. Um, while he was uh, there in the hospital, he ended up having a seizure and after that moment was paralyzed from the neck down. What had happened was he had a spinal artery collapse. Whoa. Which is basically like a stroke in your spine. Yeah. Um, and so at first he didn't have motion in his hands or arms, um, but he had some very intense physical therapy and ended up regaining some movement, but not really enough to like hold a pencil or a brush. Um, but while he was in rehab, like right away, as soon as, basically as soon as he could, he started painting again. And so they had this sort of um, wrist brace that normally they would fix with a pencil, but they put a brush in it. Um, so he could still paint even though Whoa. his muscle movement was much cruder than before but because this so stanley was painted in 1981 the event was in 1988 so he was already putting some of these rules in place in his art some of these things that he was already doing that ended up when after the event even though he was basically paralyzed and had limited movement, he was still able to carry out in his same style because of the style he'd been painting in yeah. for all this time. Jeez. It's just kind of kind of a, a lovely little coincidence for yeah. him. Um, <clears throat> after his hospitalization after his hospitalization, he is now wheelchair bound. Um, but because of you know, the money that he has gained as a famous artist. Um, he had his studio. He used to have a forklift that he would ride up and down his canvas on as he was working. Ra now, rather than doing that, he has a special slot in the studio where he can raise and lower his canvas mm, yeah. um, as he's working on it. Um, so he, and he also has... Um, lots of assistants who help him in doing all of the things except for he's always been the person actually applying paint so back in the day um when artists would have uh students a lot of times like the students would be the ones that were actually doing the work and they artists would just kind of sign their name to it and it would yeah. still be you know their work even though they didn't actually paint Super it crappy but yeah. it's it's just a weird tradition in art history but um so that's not happening here he is actually the one doing it but so this was in 88 uh yeah the event was oh. in 88 um so but he has worked in lots of different media since then um he has done some tapestries where he's using colored threads instead of paints kind of still using that same idea of optically blending yeah. colors together um he has done um, a lot of photos obviously he's been taking all of the photographs all along i don't know if i mentioned that previously but he's he's the photographer in all yeah. of his work so um he did um for example uh brad pitt was doing the cover of a magazine he asked specifically for chuck close to do oh. his photographs even though he knew like Chuck Close is not going to photograph you 
sans wrinkles or say you know he's gonna it's gonna be real and um yeah. so that was kind of an interesting thing this was kind not... of broke some of those like i don't want to do famous people kind of yeah. <laughs> rule for yeah. his life oh but that was another thing um that happened you know he was saying like oh i just want to do portraits of my friends and anonymous people well then his friends ended up becoming famous because he was in art school and in new york city so like one of the most um one of the people that he did a lot of portraits of and kind of kept coming back to his photos was philip glass um was a classmate of his and he's now so like it kind of already was sort of deteriorating this idea that I'm only going to do people that don't, you know, people that no one recognizes because the people that he already painted are now recognizable. So, well, and the more his art was known, I'm sure the more his friends, the friends he had were famous people. Right. So, um, yeah, he's, he's done some printmaking. Um, so the last image that I want to show is um, one of the very few instantly recognizable portraits um, that he did um, was done in uh, 2006. And um, as you can see, it was of former President Bill Clinton. And um, you can see that he's kind of tilted his grid on an angle um, yeah. diagonally. But um, so that is one of the very few sort of commissioned and famous uh portraits that he has done it's i mean it's still definitely in his style but also mm-hmm. definitely not as realistic it's I looser guess. it's yeah. looser it's like looking at bill clinton through uh you know those like that ripley glass yeah you know <laughs> yeah. uh so i assume he was he ever able to gain any of that motion back or is he still no, I mean, he, I mean, you see him in interviews and um, you can tell sort of like the muscles in his hands. You can just tell they're like, it, his hands like are too flat. Um, and um, I mean, he still has like sort of generalized motion, but um, he never got that like refined motor, yeah. motor. So um, I even saw at one point that he um, was holding a brush with his teeth. Um, but I think, I think mostly if he had to, would use like two hands together, um, to, to steady the brush, but. It, that's some incredible dedication and passion to your work to be. For sure. It's been 30 some years and he's still, I mean, mm-hmm. I guess if he's still painting, if yeah. he's still working. Well, I think, I think probably now, um, I don't have any information that's like super super recent so i don't know if he is still making art um or if it's more like photography kind of things that aren't real fine skills like that but Hmm. yeah really fascinating uh it makes me want to look up some more of his stuff (laughs) it's cool yeah so um that's that's chuck close and his heads so it was always just heads yeah i mean eventually he was like okay fine everyone's calling him portraits so i'll call him portraits but for a very long time he just referred to him as heads but he's never done like any other landscape or anything like that just always Not really faces and people no. so that is, that alone to me is fascinating a person who 
has face blindness and his sole focus in his artwork has always been like the face. Well, I mean, I think that is part of probably what keeps him interested because he can't remember faces except for when they're two dimensional. So, uh, it's, I don't know, probably a way of him connecting to that part that people, most people take for granted. Yeah. I don't know. But, yeah. Let's check close. Roast far. Get out. Boy. It's really bad. Yeah, it is. Uh, if you have any questions, thoughts, suggestions, even, um, you can reach us at our Instagram handle, which is at Halfway Docent. Uh... Our email, I think, is at halfwaydosen at gmail.com. I think that that sounds right. If I you, think that's correct. If you really want to email. If you have artists you would like us to cover that we haven't, um, we don't care. <laughs> <laughs> we don't care. We're going to do whatever we want. That's <laughs> no. the way that sounded. <laughs> no, for real, though, if you have suggestions. Please like send to, us suggestions yeah. if you'd like. I do have um, sort of a list of ones that that I want to cover, but I'm just, I'm certainly happy to take suggestions if you yeah. have them. We're always looking for what people we want to we want to make the people happy. Sure. And I if, mean, this is for the fans, after all. Yeah, all six of them. <laughs> but we value you so much. All six of you. Hey, are... be cool, man. <laughs> be cool. Uh, no, we we truly. Do. Yeah, it it. I mean, we do it we do this for us and people apparently like to listen that's cool um yeah but we're not gonna be like regular so we're still gonna be the gonna, like, big for it i oh i was gonna that's you know what that's what i was gonna do i was gonna say we we're halfway an occasional <laughs> what <laughs> halfway dose in an occasional art history podcast <laughs> yeah we're gonna try and get on a more are we yeah yeah we are we are. <laughs> when I say we, I mean me. <laughs> All one of us is going to. The other one's just going to be along for the ride. <laughs> the so one who does most of. Oh, I was going to say most of the work. That's unfair. Anyway, we should go. I think we should have a counseling session right now. Probably that on too. On air for everybody here. Okay. Well, thanks to my girl, my whiskey, and me for the use of our intro and outro. Yep. Check them out on Instagram, my girl, my whiskey, me. And Facebook. And, and all the places, I probably. I know about Spotify Twitter. and stuff. You sh- yes. That's a good one. I mean, probably Spotify and YouTube. Yeah. Are places you... you should find a musical artist. Probably. That logically makes the most sense. Yeah. yeah. So check them out, please. Again, find us them. places. Whatever. Uh, leave us a rating and review if you yeah. feel like it. Yeah. Or don't. I mean, it takes a couple of seconds, but yeah. I've, I've heard it helps. I, I think what would make me happier is if you shared your favorite episode with a friend. Yeah, that would be lovely. Maybe Old Baby. I mean, we gotta wait until next Christmas season for that to come back around, don't we? No, it's always in season. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right, well, we should we should get get out of here. I feel like you're trying to. Do you want to go? Is that what's happening? Yeah, oh, I got okay. stuff to do. Well, in that case, <laughs> uh, how do we end this thing? Oh, I remember. 
And remember, it's just sorry. <laughs> <laughs> a bad podcast. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs>